Shalom, and welcome to a very special edition of Parsha Talk. This Shabbat is Shabbat Tazriyam Etzora, but today happens to be a very special day on the modern Jewish calendar. Today is Yom HaShoah Gura. today is Holocaust Remembrance Day, and we thought that rather than speak specifically about the, the double Parsha this week, that we would spend some time reflecting on the meaning of today, the meaning of Yom HaShoah, and also the meaning of this day in the context of the days that are coming, that the, there are the national days of Israel, the national days of the Jewish people. And also in Israel, uh, some circles are beginning to refer to these days as Aseret Hoda'ah, the 10 days of, of Thanksgiving, 10 days of reflection, beginning with Yom HaShoah, and the renaissance of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel, culminating in the creation of the state of Israel and the declaration of the state in 1948, Tavshim Chet, Hey Iyar, the fifth of Iyar, a great day in the history of uh, the Jewish people. So I'm going to start with Rabbi Barry Chesler. It's great to have you here, together with Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski. And I want to begin to just reflect on this day, this, the place of this day, and you as an educator, and in the context of teaching, in the context of um, trying to shape the understanding of your students in the context that you live in. Um, talk about this day. So I think Yom HaShoah is in transition. It took a long time to get it on the calendar. When I was first in Israel in 1973, I don't even remember observing it. I was on kibbutz. It was the 25th year of, the, of Israel's independence. And one of the reasons why I was glad to be in Israel that year was to go to Jerusalem for the celebration of the 25th year. But it was a long time ago. I don't remember anything about Yom HaShoah, or even if it was marked as an observance. But now in my school today, we had a, a Zoom Yom HaShoah, which was extraordinary in many ways not the least of which I think is because it was so different, ended up thinking about things in a different way. And the first thing that struck me was the emphasis on the Gevurah part, that the official name is Yom HaShoah V'HaGvurah, the disaster day and heroism. And it doesn't really sit well with me that, um, that Gevurah is part of it. It's not to minimize the fact that People did not go like sheep into the gas chambers, as was the myth that emerged in some circles after the war, but that I don't know that what we're trying to incorporate and what we're trying to teach is heroism, but trying to come to terms with absolute destruction. And when we were talking before, Jeremy, you had mentioned that the Holocaust was the, the end of a thousand year civilization in Europe. And that's not going to come back. And when we were talking about it, I remember thinking, you know, there are people that live in Europe today and they're trying to do something with the Jewish community there. But whatever is going to come from that, that's not going to replace what was lost. And the other thing I wanted to say before letting Jeremy say a few words is that today in school, we had the, the son of a survivor speak, and he told his father's story and the story of his family. They lost a lot of members who did not get out in time. Um, he had an uncle that came as early as 1938, so people were able to come, including his father. And 
it, you know, within a few years, perhaps there won't be any more survivors. And it's going to raise the question, what are, what is the day supposed to be? What are we supposed to remember? What are we supposed to internalize? And there aren't any easy answers. I've been wrestling with this for a long time. Um, and I have not really seen any answers. But it seems there has to be a difference between a first-person account, a journal as it were, and uh, some kind of interpretive account. And that perhaps now is the time to think of the interpretive account. The example I gave to someone earlier today was that one source of the Civil War are all those journals written by soldiers. Many of them are artless, they're unaffected, but you read them because there are accounts from people who were there. But they don't necessarily tell you what things meant. And that's what's missing, it seems to me, on Yom HaShoah. What does it all mean? Yeah, uh, Jeremy. This is an incredibly, incredibly important question. Um, it calls to mind the argument in one of the great, you know, books of modern Jewish thought, Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi's Zachor, in which he distinguishes between history and memory. Um, history being an account of what happened in the past, and memory being an interp interpretation of what happened in the past. So history can be an interpretation too, of course, but memory being the way in which you internalize it and, and, and have it be the source of meaning in your life. Um, I, uh, I, I'm gonna take a guess that people who lived through the destruction of the temple in the year 70 did not say, this is because of baseless hatred. They're gonna say, <laughs> this is because of the Romans and the Zealots and politics, but over time, it developed into a story, and the Jewish people tell this story uh, as, as being the result, the terrible destruction being the result of our ethical failings. That's not, that's not a description of historical forces. It's an attempt to make sense out of a senseless event. Um, I suspect that almost nobody, because of the enormous horror of the event, and because we actually know people who were in the event would dare to make uh, a claim about what the Holocaust means. How could you say that the, that the Shoah means sinat um, chinam, you shouldn't hate each other, or, or that you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be uh, this kind of Jew or that kind of Jew. Um, it's just evil. And I do think that over time, as, as Barry suggested, we will knit it into a story that we would be ashamed to tell now. Um, you, you, Barry said, you know, you, you don't like that, that term, Yom HaShoah V'HaGevura, I totally agree. I think that that, um, that phrase, Gevura, I don't know for a fact, but I'm going to take a stab that it is a product of the Israeli discomfort with what they, what they perceive to be the European passivity. Um, and they wanted, you know, the, the Yom HaShoah is, is around Pesach. Uh, on the calendar because it's associated with the Warsaw Ghetto Rebellion and there's a, a kind of like, you can be proud of the Warsaw Ghetto fighters because they fought back. They didn't, they didn't just go to the gas chambers. Um, in fact, there was so much spiritual resistance that I find much more meaningful. I find the physical resistance meaningful too, but the spiritual resistance um, within the Shoah is, I think, a great cause of celebration. Um, people manage to remain human and they manage to remain Jews in the face of unbelievable uh, abuse and, and degradation. Um, but also, 
this to me is, is the connection in the calendar going from Yom HaShoah to Yom, Yom HaAtzma'ut. Uh, the greatest gevura is that the Jewish people didn't give up. The greatest gevura is that we responded to this unbelievable devastation with the most unimaginable building, the most unimaginable bounce back of, of you know, uh, standing up, of defending ourselves physically, militarily, defending ourselves spiritually, in gathering the exile, defending ourselves economically. I, I think about the middle of the 20th century, simultaneously, just years away from each other, unimaginable devastation and unimaginable resilience. And so when I think about that term, gvura, the, the, the heroism of, of the show, that's what I want to go to, is the heroism of people who didn't curl up and die, but who went ahead and built lives and, in fact, built a whole new country. Look, I, you know, I, I think I want to pick up on that. Of course, you know, we, we have no way to, to even come close to assessing what, what that gvura means. I think, I think we, we start with a, a kind of a moment of humility, you know, the three of us who, who are of the generation of children of survivors. I, I, I am not a child of survivors, but I have uh, friends whose parents were survivors, as I'm sure uh, you, both of you also. And certainly uh, with branches of family, the branches of family that were left uh, in Europe and, and were basically slaughtered. Um, and um, so, so, so thinking that, that the word gura is multivalent. I mean, there, there's so many layers to Gvura, ranging from Mordechai and Alevich, you know, and, and Abba Kovner and the, you know, the partisans of Vilna to, to the daily struggle to, to live. And, and, and who are we to judge, you know, someone who says, I can't take it anymore. Look, look, we, you know, we, we, uh, we, we are in a kind of moment, I don't want to make too, too much of that in the sense of, you know, what, what can people deal with? You know, we, we are lucky in terms of, you know, our, our, our own predicaments. The second thing I want to say, picking up on what Barry said, is, is that, look, we, we are in a moment of transition. We are, we are effectively in the moment of generational transition when the Holocaust is moving from living memory to recorded memory, anecdotal memory to received memory, transmission memory. And so therefore the day has become, in, in very large measure, uh, in congregational life, it's become the day for the survivors, those who are Ibadel Chayim, may they live to long and bright lives, uh, and their children and their children's children. So they, they have taken upon themselves the responsibility for memory, and so that this day becomes, I think, a memorialization not only for the victims of the Shoah, but it's a memorialization, and it's become for all the survivors who are no longer with us. And I know in my congregation, we had you know, 50 devices on a Zoom memorial last night representing about 80 people, uh, many of whom were recalling their own family members and recalling the presence of survivors in their lives who are no longer with us. And this day has become as much a remembrance of the inspiration of those remarkable human beings who, who created lives, who rebuilt lives, who said, I'm choosing life, who were among the DP camps, as you know, in, in, the, in history, 
the largest birth rate of the Jewish people was in the period of 1945 to 1948. Those people, they rebuilt their lives and they decided that they're going to have children. And that itself is a phenomenal uh, uh, you know, thing to, to reflect on. So, so you know, as complicated it is um, theologically, symbolically, ritualistically, you know, we're, we are 75 years removed from the events and, and still grow up in for I just want to share things and maybe you can react to, you know, this is what we do on Yom HaShoah. So I've developed a kind of Yom, Yom HaShoah, Tisha B'Av kind of style, a set of symbols. I start out, we, we, we have a transition from Mincha to Mariv. The transition includes opening the Ark, emptying out all the Sifrei Torah, this Torah, turning off the Ner Tamid, putting in uh, yortzite, six yortzite lamps in the, in the Ner Tamid, and davening without um, melody, as in Tisha B'Av, and then um, uh, concluding with um, the recitation of names of victims of people and communities of people who are, um, you know, related to, to members in the shul. Uh, we've been doing that for a number of years. It, it, it kind of works. It works as, as a sense of evoking certain kinds of symbolic meaning. You know, it, the, the empty ark is a very powerful symbol, a symbol of both abandonment and also a symbol that, you know, Jews try to protect their treasure, try to protect their, their, their the Jews. They try to protect lives. Um, and so we, we, and I always introduce it by saying, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how to, I, I don't know how to represent this. This is, this is the black hole for us. It's the black hole. Yeah. The, the black hole. Um, yeah. You know, first of all, you have, I know in your congregation, one of the youngest camp survivors. That's correct. Um, she oh, was, she was the famous picture six or seven years old or, or whatever when she was in the camps um, and it is mind-blowing to to realize that you know you, you know you said about the uh, you said about the the presence of survivors in our lives the chazan of my when I was a kid who taught me my bar mitzvah was a survivor he had seen his child murdered before his very eyes and um, he was he was the first person outside of my family that I really I loved and his his death was so was so hard on me and he, he probably wasn't even 70 years old or not more than his early 70s um, uh, Mayor Elias was his name um, he was uh, yeah special person um, and it, it, it is the it is the black hole um, and you know you, you talked you alluded a little bit to, I don't want to make too much of, of the, the confinement and the COVID. I, I had a funeral a bunch of years ago for, for uh, somebody who was, was a mother who um, in, in Poland in the 30s, I, I, guess, I guess must have been uh, for several years, she and her brother and her son, they all hid in an attic. And when they finally were liberated, they couldn't walk because their legs had atrophied and <laughs> about what a bunch of wussies we are. I'm like I'm stuck in my apartment. <laughs> I, I have to binge watch all this TV and I have to order from Amazon. Like, no, there's confinement <laughs> and there's confinement. Yeah, exactly. Let's not be a bunch of, let's not be a bunch of wussies. Um, yeah. I, wanna, I, 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 I once, I once, you know, we talked about, 
the inability to market and, and and of course that's true because you have to what you know you can't speak of something that you really have nothing intelligent to say about so there was a time when i i said to myself and i i really i try not to miss a day of tefillin i i'm pretty strict about this so there's a period when i decided i was not going to put on tefillin this is my going to be my my yom hashoah observance that i was going to like you know, the, the, this great midrash that the Jewish people wear the tefillin proclaiming the love of God and God wears tefillin proclaiming the love of the Jewish people. It just felt sundered. And I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to, to uh, do it. Uh, it didn't catch on, right? Uh, it's still, it's still a mitzvah, but um, that silence seems to me uh, relevant. And, and, you know, maybe uh, this is probably not going to catch on either. And it's a 40 chapter book or so, but maybe we should read some of Job. Like, wouldn't it be, this would be supposed to eel. So in Job, though, we know where God is. So Job has its own way of approaching the problem. I think the problem for us is we don't know where God was. Oh, I, I, okay, so fine. I think we, 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 are, we have so much material to read. There's an abundance of, I once said that, that studying the Holocaust, there's like a masechet for every single aspect of the Holocaust. There's a masechet of the ghetto. There's a masechet of the camp. There's a masechet of of the uh, the the righteous gentiles. There's a masechet of of the ruthless gentiles. Every single thing. There's there, there. It's an encyclopedia of 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 material on the Shoah that you can get literally lost in. Okay, and and the problem that we have, you know, is what's the canonical text? Now, Elie Wiesel has become, in some ways. The, the, the way that the Holocaust has entered into the consciousness of American Jewry, you know, Primo Levi uh, and other writers, maybe, Ellie, there's no, you know, once you get on Oprah, you've made it into the consciousness of, of I guess, America, okay? And, and, and yet, you know, would you say that, that Elie Wiesel is the, the canonical representation of the Holocaust? No, he's certainly one major voice, but, but he's not the only voice. And there's, of course, you know, thousands, thousands. Well, there are millions of voices, I mean, that were stilled. Yes. Um, so one of the things that struck me today was that at the end of the, the speaker speaking, he emphasized the uniqueness of each individual human being. And, um, you know, many years ago, someone said that, you know, six million is not a number in the abstract. It's counting one six million times yeah. because we all are unique. And the value of hearing from the testimony of survivors is that just the act of telling one story is what gives a life meaning. It's not that everyone gives the same measure of artistry, but only each of us can speak in our own voice. We can't really, I mean, obviously writers speak in other people's voices, but what carries the meaning of our life is the voice that we speak. And it's important, I think, to remember that and to find a way of incorporating these voices that very soon we're no longer going to hear from the person actually saying it before us. Nowadays, in modern technology, we have recordings, obviously, but even so, it won't be the same when we know that the person who recorded this is alive and soon will will no longer be alive. Let's, and, you know, I, I just want to add one more thing. You know, 
I didn't mean to suggest that we can find the meaning in the Holocaust, sure. but what we can find is what it means to us. You know, and we each process things differently, but even though we can't find meaning in the abstract, I think to, uh, for better and for worse, we all find ways of finding meaning ourselves in small ways for even the great, the great questions. Well, with that, with that idea, let me pivot to, to the other great moments uh, in the week, which is, which is defined by um, you know, the, the National Day, Yom HaZikaron, the Israeli Remembrance Day, and, and Yom HaTzma'ut. And, and here again, you know, we can apply the same kinds of questions. Uh, what do these days mean to us? What do these days mean to us as uh, Jews living, you know, both, all three of us were born in the 20th century. Um, you know, we, 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 we are uh, defined in some ways by our relationship with uh, Israel. Israel was a reality before we came into existence. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, and, and, and we, we, we've had, uh, the three of us have had experience teaching Israel to our, to, uh, our campers at camp. And, um, the, the idea of presenting Israel, Israel 1.0, Israel 2.0, you know, the, the, the way that um, our own relationship to Israel has itself uh, evolved, um, and how our own identity as American Jews is structured by the Zionization of American Jewish life. Occasionally, occasionally we, um, we, all of us have um, chosen to remain in North America. Yes. Okay. And it's not something that we uh, always own. Um, and sometimes North American Jewry is is uh, a, a little delusion, uh, delusional about. I mean, <laughs> I uh, I can't always explain to myself why I have chosen to remain in North America, and. And there were times in my life when I could have made a different choice, and um, and there are times when I really regret uh, that the choices that I've made. Uh, I, I identify very, very strongly with with uh, Israel and its people um, as a close, supportive cousin. But there are times when I am reminded and cannot escape the knowledge that I'm not Israeli. And Yom Hazikaron is one of those times most strongly. Um, it is it's part of the social fabric in Israel. Of course, not everybody serves, and certainly there's a, a, a large percentage of Israelis who, who, are, uh, uh, who are Arab, who, who don't even have the opportunity to serve. And, and it's a real question going forward, um, what it means to have a, a Jewish country in which has a large non-Jewish minority. But for the majority of the population, uh, in the mainstream experience, serving in Tzahal is, is part of what it is to be Israeli, and to risk your life is part of what it is to be Israeli, and the way in which Yom HaZikaron penetrates into the consciousness, because every family knows uh, a family member or a neighbor or, or somebody who has, um, who has lost their lives in the danger of being uh, par part of Israel with all of its unique security challenges. Uh, Yom HaZikaron um, is where I really feel 
uh, yeah, I'm standing on the sidelines. And do you, so do you I, not I, feel in some way that we, we can become connected? I, you know, of course, recognizing that, that we are not there, we don't serve, we don't, you know, but, but, but that our lives are linked in some way to the, to the great narrative that's unfolding there, including the sacrifice that, you know, albeit we don't, we don't share with our blood. I, of course you feel connected, but I'm also aware of the limits of my possibility for connection. I'll just give you one quick example. Um, the one that we actually, the, the three of us were together when this was happening, uh, at a certain point, the, the, the kidnapped uh, Israeli soldier, Gilad Shalit, was, was traded for a very, very, very high price of a number of uh, Palestinian fighters released. And there's a, an element in Tractate Gitin where, you know, it was not an uncommon thing in the ancient world that people would kidnap Jews, pirates, or, 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 or dictators would kidnap Jews and, the, and ransom them off to the communities. Um, and in Tractate Gitin, it says, you know, you should, you should pay the ransom. Pidyon Shvuyim is, is an extremely high mitzvah. It's, it's, in fact, the paradigm of old staka. But you shouldn't pay the price um, if it is so high that it encourages future kidnapping. And... And as an American, um, I felt that this was terrible. That the price that they paid for Gilad Shalit was so high that it was just just going to encourage Hamas to have more and more kidnapping. And every Israeli I know said, "No, no, this is what we do. This is the promise that we make to every parent. Yeah, you know, we're going to bring your kids back." And it was just such a stark awareness for me of what separated me from that experience and uh, made and makes me feel sad. Yeah, I think, I think that we are, on some level, we, we stand as loving, you know, uh, uh, relatives. I mean, we, we are, we want desperately, and I think, you know, we, we represent a certain part of the committed Jewish community that uh, desperately wants this this connection and is reflected in the way we live, the way we educate our children, the language that we speak, the the Torah that we study, and 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 our own degrees of involvement uh, with with uh, Israel, on you know more than just an emotional level, more than just you know trivial, more than just hummus, you know. Right. The connection, I think, on Yom Hazikaron though, is intrinsically related to the amount of risk. And because we don't make the risk, our participation is somehow limited as a result. In Israel, it can happen to anyone. Indeed. And it happens to everyone. But to us, it doesn't. Um, I have to say that in my school, the Israelis, not surprisingly, organize the Yom Hazikaron ceremony that we have. And I always find it quite powerful. And the Hatikva, which I've always liked, and certainly far more than the Star Spangled Banner, um, is always most stirring at the end of Yom Hazikaron for me. Um, because it's a way of allowing us to participate in that aspect of a life that, for a variety of reasons, we're not fully part of. You know, I'd like to note the American Jewish community uh, is, is clearly, I'm not, not saying anything. Uh, creative when I say the American Jewish community is in great flux in its relationship to Israel. Um, I still think the majority remains very connected and very positively disposed. Um, but Israel's got a lot of problems and there's a lot of the problems that are of its own making and there are um, really intractable. The, the, the situation with the Palestinians is, 
is not good, and um, and I don't think any of us would want to be a Palestinian living under occupation. Um, and so we, we see lots of reasons why people have a greater sense of alienation. And I am still such a Zionist. I might be the I might be the last liberal Zionist that there is, but I'm going to be one until the day well, I die. No, I think the state of Israel is an amazing, amazing um, success story of Am Yisrael of of building and rebuilding a wonderful country. And and every time you go there, you just meet the most amazing people dealing with the most amazing problems in the most creative, and I mean, business problems and scientific problems, but I'm mostly interested in the cultural problems and the religious problems and the, and the Torah problems. And it's just, it's awesome. I think it's, it, it, you know, for us, it's an inspiration. You know, you and I may, may differ slightly in terms of you know where where the expression of this is concerned, but but you know the 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 admiration, the adoration, the the sense of the sense of connection, and I think also the sense of shared destiny. I and mean, Israel represents you know the the destiny of the Jewish people. I think that that uh, is, you know and and the tension that we all feel in terms of you know where we live in relationship to Israel and how it's reflected in our lives. You know. Right as of this moment, all my four children are in Israel. You know, and 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 each of us have had the experiences of our children being in Israel at various times. You know, this is this is part of of an engaged Jewish life, and and so reflecting on the meaning of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, the meaning of of Israeli independence, as defining for us too, as celebrated by by us. It's a day to to rejoice, and a day that that in a way is the culmination of this week notwithstanding the fact that that presents a series of, of historical questions and identity questions, theological questions. I just want to take some time at the conclusion of this to, to reflect that we, we're moving in a narrative from Yom HaShoah to Yom HaTzma'ut. It's a very powerful, powerful totally, narrative. Totally. And, and, and you, you use the phrase shared destiny. That's, that's exactly it. And this is the week in which it drives home I mean, this is true about Pesach too, in, in, a, in a manifestly religious way, but in these modern ways, that being a member of the Jewish people means having a shared past and a shared future. And these are the holidays, these modern holidays about the Shoah uh, uh, and about the Christian state of Israel are about having a shared past and a shared future. Mm-hmm. The famous Rabbi Soloveitchik used these phrases to talk about a Brit Goral and a Brit Yehud, a covenant of fate, uh, what befalls one of us befalls us all, and Yom HaShoah is about the Brit, Gor- the Brit Goral. It's about the, the the covenant of fate that can befall the Jewish people, and Yom HaAtzma'ut is about the Brit Yehud, about the the covenant of destiny that you hope that you build um, a better and richer and more meaningful world. Um, for those of us who are religious people, that's a world that's filled with Torah. Even if you're not a religious person, it's a world. It's a world filled with with value and meaning. So we're talking about Yom Hashoah and Yom Asmut bracketing a, a period of time, um, what you call the Aser Yemei Ha'odah. But the real bracket here is Pesach and Shavuot. And even though it's an accident of history that Yom Hashoah and Yom Asmut fall within this seven week period, it actually is the way that we interpret our Jewish lives for the last 2000 years is that everything comes between Exodus and Torah. 
And it's the way that we can think as religious Jews of how we incorporate these two extraordinary events in our ordinary context of going from Egypt to Harsinai. These are the framing moments for us. And I think, I think what we've tried to do in this conversation is really put forward an idea that, that these moments are, are so deeply rooted in, in the contemporary experience of being a Jew, especially, of course, the Jew outside of Israel, where we are existing in, 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 in a dynamic relationship with memory, dynamic relationship with the, the, the idea of our obligation to remember, and the dynamic relationship, as you've expressed, with, with, with Israel, with our, um, with our shared destiny, how it's unfolding, our, our joy, our delight, our, our, our exaltation at, uh, at Israel, and, um, and our continued involvement in that. And, um, you know, we, on this day that, that is looking backwards and looking at the various masechtot of, of the Shah experience, we're also going to very soon pivot to, to looking forward and looking with uh, memory at the price that, that the Jewish people has paid for its independence and for the renaissance of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel, and also the great promise that, that lies ahead for the Jewish people in, in, in the state of Israel as it, as it tries to, to chart its way forward from this moment. We wish uh, all the people watching us. Both of you. <laughs> the three well, we're watching each other, so. <laughs> well, we got, we got to say something about Camp Ramon the Berkshires here. We got to say. The Berkshires, you know, we'll, we'll save it for another time in terms of, you know, Israel at camp. That's a very powerful, important uh, idea. Uh, but um, wishing, wishing our brothers and sisters in Israel and the Jewish people uh, meaning, memory, fulfillment, joy. Um, depth, especially at this time when there, there is so much concern for the survivors, those who are left, may God shelter them, provide them with, with comfort. Um, we want to wish, of course, the people who are suffering and the people that we know in our various communities who know people, who know people, tremendous, tremendous sense of loneliness, tremendous suffering. Let's, we wish and pray for Refuah and for Am Yisrael, a joyful, beautiful, celebratory and happy Yom mood to come in the week ahead. But God bless you. God bless us all. Call Yisrael. Amen. Amen. And that's it. Our Parsha Talk for this week. Join us in the future. Next week. For a future discussion on our Parsha. Shabbat Shalom.